So why anxiety? Why am I talking about anxiety? I just realized actually, um, well, there it is, but uh, I, it said chaos, but that's actually because chaos is very often associated with anxiety. Anxiety is a very feel, uh, ex, um, chaotic feeling. So why am I talking about anxiety? Well, the definition up there, as you'll see, uh, anxiety is a noun. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. In quotations, he felt a surge of anxiety. This comes from dictionary.com. Okay. Uh, the other um, definition of anxiety that I want to point out today is the psychiatry one, which uh, we have a slide for. Yeah, perfect. Um, which is a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension. Excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. This is kind of the definition I want to zoom in on a little bit because this is what is absolutely exploding in America right now. Um, and it has been for a while. I think we recognize this with considering the way 2020 went and just, just the way things are politically, the way things are um, socially. Obviously, uh, it makes sense that anxiety would be increasing. But this has actually been going on. The increase actually started in 2011. It's been going on for a while. It's been going on for a while to the point where 18% of America, and this is, this is actually old statistics. I couldn't find any new ones. But as of 2018, 18% of Americans describe themselves of having um, debilitating anxiety moments in their life, either from time to time or chronically consistent. 18%. Well, what does that mean for us, for the church? Literally what that means is that almost two out of every 10 people that you know and love, that we know and love, that we're here to support and build up and walk with, almost two out of 10 have or will experience painful levels of anxiety in their life. Two out of 10. It means that the odds are very high that we ourselves may experience it. And we have a great need to understand how God wants us to handle it, both in ourselves and how to come alongside and stand alongside those who are dealing with it. Because it's that common. It's funny, uh, scripture actually, anxiety is kind of a, it, it is a biological response. And we'll kind of get down into the medical breakdown a little bit. There is a biological response in um, anxiety. And scripture actually talks about biological responses a fair amount. And most of them actually are... Um, they have moments where it's actually okay or good. Even things like anger, which I'll throw up on the screen in Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In Psalms 4.4, 4, Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. Even things you wouldn't expect, like anger, can actually be okay. God is angry at sin, at injustice. So that's actually allowed. But in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, we actually see that um, anxiety is something, and I, I want to be careful I say this, because if I say it, anxiety is not allowed, that sounds very negative. That sounds very attacking. It's not that anxiety isn't allowed. It's that God is saying there is a way to live without anxiety. You can overcome it. You can overcome it. And it reads like this. Don't worry about anything. A lot of your translations will say, uh, don't be anxious for anything rather than don't worry. I'm using CSB. It uses don't worry. Um, 
But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of mind, or the peace of um, God, which surpasses all understanding. Again, anxiety is a biological response. So to be able to have peace apart from that in a world that is broken where things that we should be anxious about are going to happen surpasses understanding. The only way you get to something that surpasses understanding is through God. It's the only way that's going to happen. There are varying levels of anxiety. Uh, There's some low levels that obviously everybody's going to experience, like which color of candy should I take? (laughs) Someone holds out a handful of candy and they're, you know, different colors. For the record, pink and red, always good. Never go wrong. They're juicy, they're fruity, they're delicious. Um, Avoid yellow at all costs. (laughs) Like, it's going to be lemon or banana or, well, pineapple's good. I, you got me. You got me. Who said, was that you, Julie? No. Oh, it was you. You got me. Pineapple's good. Oh, no. Always avoid that for you then, for sure. <laughs> and if you're feeling lucky, you might go for green, which green sometimes is watermelon, which is so good. Like watermelon, so good, man. Love watermelon. It doesn't taste like real watermelon, but it's so good in candy form. But you might get lime. <laughs> So it's kind of like a gamble, you know? Do I want lime or do I want watermelon? Like, you don't know what you're going to get. It's it's a gamble. That can be low levels of anxiety. (laughs) That's pretty typical that everybody will feel, and it's not debilitating at all. Uh, Another one, this is a step up. What should I wear to a funeral? Right? That has deeper meaning. That has a deeper meaning because it potentially could affect others. Their view of you, so your own pride, you know? I've actually experienced this <laughs> going to a funeral. I'm like, this is a, this is a very North Idaho funeral. It's probably going to be casual. It's probably going to be like flannels and stuff, but I don't have anything that's black, black. That's more anxiety-inducing just because it affects other people and their perception of you. Another level up, what do I need to teach my kids Am I disciplining them correctly? Am I harming my children? That one's very deep. That one's very, very, very deep because learning to be a parent is the same thing as walking and all things. You ever see a baby try to learn how to walk? It ain't pretty. (laughs) Until you understand how to walk, there's a lot of face falling. Like, it's just tough. And then even as an adult, you're going to trip over something. That one goes very, very deep because you love your kids. They are your flesh and blood, and there's this in-home, not just um, deeper connection, but also a responsibility. It brings responsibility on your shoulders. It's a whole new level of anxiety. I think of this. I've got a kid on the way. It's already in my head. I hear people tell me all the time, you're going to be the best father. (laughs) And that freaks me out. That gives me anxiety. (laughs) He's all like, great, now i got expectations. The, they're like, oh, I'm trying to bless you. It's not. But thank you. God bless. Uh, oh, I don't need to hear from people that I'm going to do good. I need to understand that what the Lord has called me to do, and when I'm walking in his footsteps, I'm doing the right thing. There's a higher level anxiety. 
And this one is actually hitting in record numbers across the nation. Is my whole life a waste of time? Would it be better if I was just never born? If I just never existed? My life here is pointless, meaningless, never going to amount to anything. That can be totally, closely tied in with depression, which I'll define in a second. Depression is different than anxiety, uh, but anxiety is very tied up in that. And this is rapidly growing specifically in young people, very specifically in young people, um, which they're still young, so you wouldn't expect that. That's normally like a midlife crisis kind of situation. It's rapidly rising in young people. I'll just give the kind of the, di the difference between depression and anxiety right now. I didn't pull up a, a critical definition, but I, um, through my studies, you define definition or uh, uh, depression as something that pulls down, whereas anxiety is um, kind of a pins and needles feeling of uh, panic. That's why it's closely tied with panic attacks, uh, whereas depression is very more closely tied with like lethargy, right? So um, kind of the distinction there. Somebody who deals with anxiety will probably deal with depression. Somebody who first deals with depression will uh, not necessarily deal with anxiety, but anxiety often leads to depression. There are even uh, bigger issues with anxiety, and these are medical. These ones aren't connected to a thought or a reason. They're actually medical. Some of these include heart disease, diabetes, thyroid uh, problems, respiratory disorders, um, asthma, drug misuse or withdrawal. That's a huge one. That's a massive one. Withdrawal from alcohol, anti-anxiety medication, or other medications, chronic pain or irritable bowel syndrome and rare tumors that produce certain flight or flight uh, hormones, fight or flight hormones. You see, fight or flight has a lot to do with anxiety. It's this feeling of something's wrong, I either need to fight or I need to run. It's that feeling and it and just builds. And so there are medical conditions that people can get, and these are super rare, but they can actually stimulate those hormones and put somebody into a flight or fight response and give them extreme anxiety when there's nothing happening and they're not even thinking anything. It's just random. So those are rare. Almost all my information is going to come from a case study from the U.S. National Library of Medicine. This was a case study that was um, started in 2008. Eight, and it went through 2018. It's a 10-year gap. Um, that's the most recent major study I could find with in-depth research. Uh, I think if they were to add 19 and 20 onto those years, um, this would the numbers would probably look worse. But most of the information is going to come uh, from this study, that and some information from the Mayo Clinic, uh, from mayoclinic.com. Um, Carson, let's put the slide of the graph up. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to look at my slide here and explain this because probably won't be able to see all the information here. What's unique about this graph, first off, this is 2011 right here. You can see anxiety in young people was flat or dipping until 2011. And then it doesn't stop going up. Not only does it not stop going up, the further you get, the faster it rises. Now, this is um, in comparison to people who are typically dealing with anxiety, which was your, um, your middle years, your 26 to 34, this dotted line, this historically used to be the highest number. And that's your midlife crisis, your, what am I really doing with my life? What's actually going on? Um, it was less severe, and it was um, fairly widespread and common. Now, the young people, this is 18 to 25 years old, skyrocketing. 
the young people in our community are struggling with anxiety at an alarmingly rapid rate. Uh, you can leave that slide up there for a while because I'm going to keep referencing it. Um, this study explains that the explosion of social media, which is associated with increased anxiety and depression among young people, may be a contributing factor to the increase in anxiety over time, especially after 2011. Again, that's where the rise starts. Why after 2011? Because between the years 2010 and 2012, Facebook and Instagram exploded. They went from a, uh, like a, a platform that the young kids were on to becoming everybody's on it between 2010 and 2012. And so that number just exploded in 2012 mostly. And so from 2011, they believe this could be a social media gap, right? They also say that young people are confronting more potentially anxiety-provoking world events than prior generations, and exposure to such events is now pervasive with access to 24-7 media. So not only do you have social media available, which is um, pretty much all about you, all about your stuff, all about making yourself look better, all about other people looking better. It's pretty much what it's all about. Now we have 24-7 access to it. So on top of the fact that it's all about us, all about me, all about I, it's also 24 access. And it's a lot of information all the time. You want to talk about chaos, my original slide that showed the chaos and stuff happening. If you do an image search for anxiety, that's what you find. You find chaotic pictures with just a million things going on everywhere, just flying everywhere. No stability, no foundation, no straight lines, just this chaotic world and fear and anxiety. And we have access to 24-7 information that is not containable within a human brain. Anxiety appears most common in young adults and has increased more rapidly among 18 to 25-year-olds than among other older age groups. Anxiety has increased more rapidly among the never married versus married. And among those with a high school diploma, interestingly enough, or some college versus those who did not complete high school. Anxiety increased consistently across racial, ethnic, gender, and income groups. So your race, your gender, um, your income don't affect anxiety. I kind of find that fascinating. So I feel like that's mostly what gets pumped out there. That's not it at all. Adults over age 50 was the only demographic subgroup to not change. That's these guys right here. Yeah. <laughs> seriously, you don't praise God for that. Seriously, like, I want this number to be this number. Like, seriously, I think it's awesome. No change there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, 18 to 25 years <laughs> uh, For YouTube, there was a baby crying And yeah, we got a joke out of it <laughs> uh, So this is something that is pervasive in our community Especially amongst our young people It is um, debilitating It is heavy uh, the one thing I want to say is what they described here as the person who will handle anxiety the best from a human worldly standard is a married, a stable married family person who works hard. That's what they said, essentially. Not quite in that many words, but it's all in there. People with the lowest amount of anxiety are the simple people who are working hard, not your college-educated, brilliant guys 
It's just the guys who are just working a simple blue-collar job. They have a spouse at home. They have a family that they spend their time providing for. And that's the person who's stable. Likewise with um, mothers, which it gets more complicated because in our culture now, um, women don't just stay at home. They also work. But it's the same statistics with them. It didn't change from men to women. Those who work hard consistently for their family are more stable. It's just that simple. We're going to dive into Psalms 23 today. You can pull up into that. Um, Psalms 23 is a very famous Psalm of David, and it's one of the best insights, in my opinion, that's my opinion, okay, uh, into David's youth as a shepherd boy, okay? Because think about it, we of course know him mostly as King David, right? The man who with uh, had many wives and also many battles and um, killed lots of dudes, killed a giant, all that good stuff. That's mostly what we know him as, ruler, uh, mighty, powerful. But he started as a, as a shepherd boy. That's where he started. That was his youth. And it really wasn't that long. I mean, I don't know what his age was, but I know he was young when he fought Goliath. So really wasn't a shepherd boy all that long. But that's his foundation, if you will. That's, his, that's where he started from. And I think we get a really cool insight into his mind as a shepherd. Uh, it gives us an insight into the long days and nights that David would have spent guiding and protecting the sheep. Understanding this psalm, I think, is um, what helps understanding this psalm is trying to think through the mind of a young man who is out by himself herding sheep through long days, long nights. And his one responsibility, keep these sheep safe. Keep them fed. Keep them healthy. They're valuable to him. He loves them. Keep them from being shredded. I think from that mind, we see a lot from this psalm. The fact that David knew firsthand the gentle and kind care and patience that was required as a shepherd is, I think, one of the most insightful pieces for the reader of this psalm, which in this case, the reader's us. How many times did David spend reassuring the sheep, you think, fighting off predators? Were there specific sheep that wandered off often? How many refused to follow him and perished because of it? Surely a spirit so stout as to defeat giants and yet so gentle and soothing as to calm the aching head of a distressed king was crafted in a man who stood guard over helpless creatures that he valued greatly. That was his start. From that act of steadfast leadership, he saw a piece of God clearly evident in creation, and it made him love God more. And I don't know why, but that puts such a smile on my face. Because when you start to look at life that way and you start to look at good things and you understand that they came from God and you're literally seeing a piece of God when you see a parent patiently pick their kid back up off the ground and you're actually seeing God's goodness that's made was by him and through him, Jesus uh, it says about Jesus. That's just, I love that. I just think it's so cool. It moves me. In Psalms 23, the first verse says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Everything. Got it all. Every last bit. This comes from his experience as a good shepherd. David always knew exactly what his sheep needed. He just always knew. Really not that, that complicated if you think about it. From a human perspective, they need grass, they need water, they need not dead. That's it. <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> like, 
But I love that not only did he know exactly what they needed, he never withheld anything that they needed, ever. Sheep needed food, he gave them food. Sheep needed protection, he protected. Sheep needed water, gave them water. And he's a human, a fallible human. That's the kind of care he would have given his sheep. The Bible doesn't say he was a great shepherd, but that's what a good shepherd would look like. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that David was probably a good shepherd. I don't know that. Scripture doesn't say. And why does he never withhold anything? Because he values them. He loved his sheep. David loved his sheep. They were his sheep, his prize. In Matthew uh, 6, 25, through verses 27, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't, uh, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying. This is Jesus speaking. So Jesus is agreeing with the concept that he's not talking about shepherds, but in my analogy, a shepherd who knows his sheep, loves his sheep, is going to take care of his sheep. Jesus says, yeah, God who knows his sheep, us, loves his people, take care of his people. So we will want for nothing, absolutely nothing. This talks about uh, physical things mostly. It talks about the food in our bellies, the clothes on our back, um, which, to be fair, it's important to point out here that the great increase in anxiety today isn't necessarily directly tied to that. But I want to point it out because some of us do worry about these things. Some of us do. So i got to address it because it's in the passage. But today, that's not, not really what we're worrying about for the most part. Um, it's not due to food or clothing. Remember that in the studies done, income didn't even play a significant role in anxiety levels. Income wasn't even significant. Which kind of makes uh, sense considering the vast abundance of America. So we have this vast abundance. There are things that maybe we want. But as far as food in our belly and clothes in our back, uh, if if you don't have those in America... Either there's serious, serious trouble in your life, or um, you don't know what to look for. Because there's even, I mean, I, I personally, my parents used to run a soup kitchen. I've seen them. They're all over town. Every night of the week, there's a soup kitchen running. Or at least that, that was the case 14 years ago. I don't know if that's changed. We have great abundance in America. Other countries, not so much. But for us, it's, it's more heavy stuff. It's more of those, if you guys remember the levels of anxiety I was talking about, it's more along those lines of, does my life matter? It's more along those lines. So moving on to verse 2, he says, He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Bringing honor to his name. But what's significant about this is that he, he lets me uh, rest in green meadows. He didn't have to do that. But the shepherd allows the sheep to rest in green meadows. And then he specifically leads by peaceful waters. The shepherd's taking his sheep to wonderful places. And he allows them to enjoy it. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. He doesn't lead them astray. The sheep can trust the shepherd. In fact, the shepherd knows better than the sheep. 
The sheep want to run off all the time. That's why I got a little stick. Nowadays, I got dogs. <laughs> you know, send the dog after him. It's a little bit more savage. I don't know if you've seen that, but like, sheep dogs bite, man. Like, sheep's out of the line is a good nip. It's brutal. And all of this to bring glory and honor to God's name. If that seems selfish to you, then you don't understand goodness. Because all goodness comes from God. All of it. Every last bit of it. So if there's goodness in your life, it is glory to God. Just like that. So if we want goodness in our lives, we want glory to God. Or at least we should. That's the reality of it. In verse 4, this is where it goes from the peaceful to the dark. This is the famous verse we all know. Uh, you're probably going to hear it in your head in King James, but I'm going to read CSB because that's what I've got. Actually, I think NLT. I did NLT for this. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. I like the way NLT broke that down because it's just very simple, plain English. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, okay? So now he's broadening the scope. This is no longer just about what's the food in my belly, the clothes on my back, whatever. It's the darkest valley. What's the darkest valley? I don't know. I don't think I've been there. I'm sure I haven't been in the darkest valley, but the darkest valley known to humanity, even when we walk through those, I will not be afraid. There's no fear in me. Why? Not because it's not dark. It's still dark. There's no fear in me because I'm walking with the shepherd. The shepherd's right there. And no matter how dark it is, the shepherd's not afraid of it because the shepherd's bigger than the darkness. In this analogy, I will be not afraid for you are close beside me. Sheep are tethered to their shepherd, and there is no fear. And then he says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The rod and the staff from the shepherd would have been the long pole that you can picture them having, and this would guide the sheep. There'd be a little tap, tap. You're going too far left. There would also be protection, protection from wolves. Simply put, God carries a really big stick. Really, really big stick. Massive stick. To us, it is used for our guidance. He leads us. He guides us with that huge stick. For the wolves, it's a headache that no amount of lo-fi harp playing from David can cure. It's for you millennials. <laughs> Christian's dying. <laughs> if you've never listened to lo-fi music, check it out. It's a good time. It's like jazz for, for young people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. Wow. Uh, we can cut that out of the edit. <laughs> but that's what God carries. He carries this, this huge weapon that protects and guides. That's what he is. I want you to notice. I want you to notice that the sheep still went through the darkest valley. He doesn't say the shepherd keeps me from ever walking through the dark valleys. He says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, as in it's going to happen, you're going to walk through the dark valley. It's just going to happen. I will not be afraid. What God is telling us through this psalm, through David's words, through David's praise, and David understood this very clearly. David had to walk through a lot of dark valleys. He had to grant a lot of grace to King Saul. He had to... Um, restrict himself 
and be in some really awful places out of worship to the Lord to do the right thing. He went through some really dark valleys. He understands his truth. God wants us to know that we live in this world. Our salvation, our eternity, our identity isn't found here, but we live in it, and we're going to go through it. That's just a fact. Going through it is not a... Um, going through dark valleys is not a disciplinary act from God. God does discipline. But when you know the Lord well enough, you're going to understand the difference between God's discipline and a dark valley where he's strengthening you to get through it. We are going to go through them. We're not kept from it. Verse 5. Kind of takes us into a more encouraging light again. Brings us back into the encouraging. It says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live, for, uh, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What does it mean that he prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. I actually had to ask Mike this in the office. I was like, what is he talking about? Why is that significant that it's in the presence of our enemies? Like we know God supplies us. Uh, in Jesus' prayer, he even tells us to ask for our daily bread. Like we know God is our supply, but what does it mean that he supplies us in the presence of our enemies? Well, this is kind of a multifaceted thing, but there's one significant thing that, uh, I think it was Wearsby you were reading, right? Wearsby? Wearsby uh, pointed out that in the context of being a shepherd, this actually probably still applies. A lot of your versions might say table. It prepares a table. Um, and so uh, in our minds, we go to like, oh, it's dinner time. Like we're no longer with the sheep. We're in a house. It's warm. There's a table. There's food. Like that's kind of where your mind goes. Uh, but interestingly enough, a uh, in, in David's experience as a shepherd, a table, so they would actually call a table a flat piece of land. Uh, where you would feed the sheep. That was actually, they would call it a table. It was just a flat area where you would feed the sheep. And that would be a place where the shepherd would be on guard while the sheep eat. It would be very open and very visible to predators. Very visible to predators. Some of the side things I really liked about this, when you start to um, unfold the pictures, one of the things that's really cool about this is um, the fact that God is going to feed us in front of our enemies means he's uh, publicly standing with us. Publicly standing with us. Why that's significant to me? Think about the fact that the person who struggles with anxiety the most is a single person. It's an unmarried person who spends most of their time book learning those aren't bad things. I'm just saying. And you think in those contexts, Jesus says, God says, he's going to stand with us. Literally stand with us in the presence of our enemies. His enemy, really. It's actually his enemy. He's going to stand with us, and in the midst of all these trials, in the midst of all of our enemies, he's going to supply us. The enemies don't get to cut us off. He is going to supply us right in front of them. And he's going to take care of us right in front of them. At this point, if like me, you're wondering, what does all this have to do with anxiety? I mean, maybe you're not. 
But I actually searched through the scriptures and I found all the verses that use the word anxious. And, and it's kind of like marriage in the Bible. You notice that when you go and you read about marriage, it just says, marry your spouse, love them, don't leave them. That's it. Simple, right? It doesn't say, uh, when you come home and your husband is playing with the boys again online, again, neglecting you, again, do this. <laughs> like, and there's other examples. I'm not going to go into, I don't, don't want to start a bunch of feuds, but like, <laughs> It doesn't exactly break down. This is what you do day to day. Covers it in more general terms. Tells us to love our spouse like Christ loved the church. That's specifically a calling for men. Calls us to submit one to another. Submit to each other back and forth. That's something scripture gives us for marriage. And when you start to filter what it means to love your spouse like Christ loved the church and what it means to submit to each other, every little situation just makes sense. I need to get my butt off video games and spend time with my wife. Like, and again, you ladies have some examples too, but mine's in the room. So anyways, we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> but, but it kind of, Scripture explains how to be married through Christ and through how we're, we're supposed to live. We're supposed to be Christians to each other, not just the world. And anxiety is kind of the same way. As we understand our relationship with God, when we understand the solid foundation that we have in God, when we understand that he is the shepherd who's all-knowing, all-powerful, sees all things, can defend against all things, can provide all things, wants to provide all things, knows exactly what we need, loves us to death, wants us with him, when we know all that, it just melts away. That's the power of God that surpasses all understanding. There is no fear. There is no condemnation. There is nothing that is lacking. And we sit here and we think about our lives like, I'm not, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. What am I doing here? I got to confess to you guys, that's something I struggle with a lot here. I'm like, Mike could easily run this church on his own. I don't add a thing. No, like, you're laughing, but it's like, seriously. And he did. I was at the postal service for however long, and Mike ran the whole thing. He could lead worship. He can teach. He could teach the youth. He could teach his kids. The church of Mike. Like, we... <laughs> We could, yeah, I know, he's covering his face. No. <laughs> but these thoughts can infect us. I sit here and I, I look at our finances. It's not on the screen, but I look at our finances and, and what we need for a building. I think, if I wasn't here, I'd have a bigger space. We could grow numbers. And it does. It causes anxiety. And through this study, it's, it's amazing how God works us over when we study. And by the way, that song, I'm free, I'm free, forever I'm free, is just killing me. Just, worship just explodes when you have studied something that just connects to it. I've got a friend right now who's just absolutely wrecked by anxiety right now. He lives over in Seattle area, and um, he's got no one really around him that's really close to him. He moved over there for financial reasons. He kind of felt like he needed to. And I, and I speak to him on the phone, and it just... It wrecks me that he's struggling with that. Because I know those words are true. We are free. We're forever free. God says, when you choose to walk after me and follow after me and seek my will, and that's through the reading of the word, that's through prayer, that's through spending time with him and asking, what do you want me to do with my life today, God? 
and I want it to glorify you and you mean that in your heart and you picture what that looks like. The more you do that, you start to understand his will and we can just be free. It just just washes away. I want that so bad for three of my friends I know that are just desperately struggling with anxiety. I got more than, I got more than two. (laughs) Extra blessed that way, I guess. I want that freedom for everyone because it's there. God says he has it for us and he wants it for us. Doesn't just have it, he wants it for us. Spells it out really, really well for us in Philippians. Uh, Philippians 4, we're going to finish, we read, um, I don't remember what verses, up till 6 or 7 or something like that. We're going to read a little bit more of that chapter, a little bit more of 4. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence... And if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on them. We weren't going to continue to plug our dwell app, but I feel like I just got to say it. It was a wise choice for a name of a biblical uh, scripture reading app. I, God has strengthened me. He has shown me new things just from driving in my car, or listening to, the, to his word read massive portions. I'm getting probably, I don't know, probably three times the scripture reading I used to um, daily. I love it. I really, really encourage you guys when we are dwelling on these things. Verse nine says, do what you have learned and received, heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace with, with you. Straight up answer. You've got anxiety. You want peace? Dwell on these things. Whatever is true. Don't think about all the scary junk. It's not that we ignore that it's there. Dwell on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Any moral excellence, anything praiseworthy, dwell on those. Dwell on them. Spend your time dwelling on those things. Not the junk on social media and wherever else you find it. Family reunions. (laughs) Todd's really I know Todd's missing a family reunion this year that he's super devastated about so (laughs) (laughs) he says do what you have learned received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you if you're struggling with this from my whole heart, I implore you to run to the Father that will never, ever fail you. If you're somebody who has someone in your life who is dealing with anxiety, I implore you, stand beside that person like a rock and draw them to the Lord who will never, ever fail them. Because you might. You might. Don't draw them to you. Just be another step that helps them get to the Father that absolutely covers everything. We're shepherds. We're not good shepherds. God is the good shepherd. Let's pray.
Lord, I just lift up right now. I don't, I'm not going to give any names, but you, Lord, you know my friends who are um, wrecked by this. You know the cause of it. There's so many influences out there. There's so many things that um, just completely overwhelm. You know what they are. I don't know what they are, but Lord, I know the answer is you. I know you're the answer. I know that your goodness, goodness of this world, and dwelling on your word and dwelling on your goodness and following your lead as a good shepherd is what draws us out of these things. And so I just pray that for my friends right now. That you would draw them right out of the anxiety, straight to you. That their minds would be dwelling on your things, the good things. That their time wouldn't be burned on things that cause anxiety. For the one that doesn't know you, Lord, I, I pray that I pray that you release him of the darkness. I pray that he would experience you and know that you're good. I pray that you continue to draw him in ways that we as humans could never do. Enrapture him with your love and your grace and um, pull him right out of what he's in. Lord, because we're free, there's so much there's so much joy for us who stand here understanding that it's your goodness that we're surrounded by and we're so excited to worship you. And I just, I can't stop thanking you enough for what you've done for us. That you would choose to redeem broken creations like us. Pray that you are honored by our worship today because you're so deserving. And thank you for these guys and these gals up here who lead us in worship to you. I pray that you strengthen and encourage them as they lead us. And I just pray that you're honored by all of our worship in unison. We agree together that you are just that great. Hear our praise and be honored, Lord. We ask this in your name.